Let's face it, when we're unwell, it's hard to get into the mind space to do something for others. Our energy and our focus are reserved on helping us get back on track. And that's okay because an inward focus is sometimes required to help us become our whole selves. But community collectivism is vital to the advancement of our societies, our communities, and our organizations. How can we land in a place where the self is just as much a priority as the us? I've been thinking about this question for quite a long time, and it's partly why I stay away from fad wellness trends in articles. It can be, well, borderline selfish, and I'm allergic to that. Instead, I gravitate towards peer-reviewed journals in the area of personal flourishing and sustainable well-being because they show that being of service to others, displaying compassion and empathy and making the commitment to helping others, leaves us all better off. It's pretty much basic stuff when you peel back the onion. But so hard sometimes because the long list of personal priorities, trauma from past experiences, or current challenges, well, it depletes us. There's nothing to feel ashamed about this either because, you know what, we're human after all. And one thing to note, giving doesn't have to be a grand gesture. I feel like sometimes we get caught up with the idea that we have to raise thousands of dollars to make an impact for other people. Be the person that's organizing incredibly large food bank drives or creating new programs to help various people in the community achieve something. But small actions that help our environments be better for all, those stack up every day and pay off in great dividends. That's what's so impressive about the ocean floor animals I've been connecting human health and well-being to throughout this podcast. Glass sponges have been around for hundreds of millions of years. They have an average age of approximately 15,000 years. They seem to live forever. And as they do, they're extremely self-sufficient, they're resilient against the conditions that living underwater bring, and more. They're an oasis of health and well-being for everything else that passes through their ecosystem. If you take just those 10 protected reefs and say how much filtration is happening, and so how much carbon is being removed, how much bacteria is being removed uh, in a 24-hour period, it is equal. And I think most people can visualize an um, Olympic-sized swimming pool. Certainly, we've seen one on TV at some point. Uh, but you imagine how much water is in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Well, they're filtrating 6,500 Olympic-sized swimming pools every 24 hours. So to say that's not, you know, if, if we suddenly didn't have these reefs and say, say that's not, would, wouldn't cause an impact to us, uh, I think, um, it, you know, the obvious answer is it would be huge. So, yeah. That's Hamish Tweed a technical dive instructor in British Columbia who, since 1996, has dedicated nearly his entire career to teaching, exploring, and passing on his love of being underwater to others. And although Hamish is studying glass sponge reefs in and around the British Columbia area, this concept of being of incredible service and filtering the water applies to the study of glass sponges worldwide. We can understand a lot from that because uh, nature has the um, continuous optimization process and they have been here for so long so they must there must be a lot that they can teach us yet they are very 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 simple organisms uh, and very fragile so they have these secrets inside them that can help us in uh, withstanding the, the the difficulties 
in the ocean and survive even in an extreme environment because this, this environment is ab absolutely dreadful for us human beings because it's very, very uh, cold. The temperatures are always two degrees Celsius, two or three degrees Celsius, complete darkness. Very few things to, to, to feed on to survive. So it's a complete extreme, completely extreme environment, yet they can survive. This is due to their optimization. Uh, processes uh, from a natural point of view, their hierarchical structure that help us in uh, help them in uh, withstanding the loads and the optimization of their uh, uh, morphological features that help us help them in um, uh, uh, feeding and also reproducing. Once again, that's Professor Giacomo Falcucci, PhD and associate professor with the University of Rome, Harvard University, and New York University. As a mechanical engineer. Him and his team study the optimization of glass sponges. In other words, he looks at how they're designed so that he can incorporate all of that information in the design of structures, buildings, airplanes, you name it. And what's so incredible to me is that he's a scientist, but he recognizes that nature tells us so much about human health and well-being. This theme of having learned how to confront life's darkest depths continue to live on while being a conduit of life and hope for others is epitomized truly by my next guest who is a true force so you know what maybe without all of these challenges right would i've just like breezed through and glossed over most of life where i feel like each day really has substance and matters and i know when i put my head on the pillow every night i've done my very best to try and make a difference in the life of other I'm Elena Iacono, and this is another episode of Sturdy Glass Sponges. Let's meet Jody Baxter. And I know you're going to like her as much as I do. Well, hi. Hi, Elena. I'm actually so happy to be here in your beautiful home recording. This is the only one we're doing face to face. I get excited for being in person with humans still. It's you amazing. Have, and you've got the best hazel. Like, literally, this tastes like Nutella, this hazelnut <laughs> coffee. It's so Zero good. calories. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Jody, listen, I wanted to talk to you because you're one of the most selfless, caring, and giving people I know. What's on your community circuit right now? Because you've got a lot in the hopper. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And thank you very much for this opportunity to chat with you today. Um, you know what, I think in my day-to-day -day role with work, um, I have the privilege of being able to advocate for children and youth every day. So that's certainly day-to-day um, -day something that keeps me very busy and very fulfilled. And then as well, I really like to be involved in the community. So I serve on the board of a local epilepsy charity and uh, now at our local hospital as well. I'm part of the patient and, uh, patient and family advisory group. So um, I, I try and give back in the spare moments when, when I can. I'm so proud of you. And I know that uh, the Oakville Hospital is so lucky to have you on their, on their board. How do you maintain the energy and the time to give in the way that you do? Because you've got a lot on the go. Well, I think it's... Um... I think the early bird gets the worm. So I am an early riser, but I think it's so important and you have to be so strategic with your overall health. Um, so, you know, I think the five pillars of um, health for me is, you know, hydration, nutrition, 
exercise, managing stress, and getting enough sleep. So um, I, I do try and be in bed at a good time. And to be successful in all areas of my, my life, I really do need to focus on those five, five pillars. So I have energy um, each day. And on the topic of keeping well, how does giving help you keep well, be your best and your most wholesome self? Because we want to be happy, but we also want to be whole. Well, I did go back to school a couple of years ago. And one of the really interesting things that I learned was that every action humans have either positively contributes to our planet or negatively impacts our planet. And that's a really great basic way to think of anything that I do. I'm either giving and helping or I'm taking away from something. So sometimes the super basic um, principles are the ones that um, just really encourage you to to think. So every day I just feel like that, um, the, the additional giving beyond um, just my day to day and my family, it just creates a life of meaning and purpose. And this purpose, this meaning that comes through giving I think comes from a sense of selflessness that I think is a skill. It's a natural gift. Not everyone can do it easily. Not everyone thinks of others. And one of the worries that I had going into the pandemic was, and I don't want to talk about the pandemic, but I just thought it was such a mind shift because everyone was turning inward. And I worry that people weren't going to think about others. And so all of this comes super natural to you. Why would you say that is? know if it's like I, I don't know that I would call it like selfless I think more when you've been through tough experiences it or gives you an empathy for other people so it, it just changes your viewpoint um, your well it changes you to the the core when you've experienced some really uh, traumatic things and uh, so I think it's more from that lens that it's not um, I'm this amazing person with two teenage boys who can assure you of all <laughs> outline a number of my shortcomings I'm sure but it's just more um, I care deeply about other humans and more so since our family has you know gone through challenges um, so I, I want to help others where I can and you introduced me to a book called the myth of normal which I promised you I would start and I did by <laughs> Gabor Matei with Daniel Matei I invite everyone to check this book out. And there's a quote in it. I've just started it, but the quote is this. Our concept of well-being must move from the individual to the global in every sense of the word. Does that resonate with you? What do you think about the, that, those words? Uh, absolutely, it resonates. It just speaks to us all being in this together, right? Um, that big or small, like our small family unit, if we have a family, if it's like our, our work colleagues, if it's extended family, if it's our community, our country, however you want, like our act, our individual actions have a ripple effect on those around us. So we are really one big unit where we need to take care of each other. And so this whole concept of selflessness, I think it, it stems from rising to a higher version of ourselves. And you mentioned meaning and purpose, and you mentioned experiences changes to the core. So tell us a little bit about your own personal experiences and why it's so important for you to help others find hope and help with dignity and compassion as, as they deserve. Well, I would say I, I led a very um, happy childhood and very normal life. Um, and um, it was really at the time when I had my first child, uh, Jack, when I was um, 28. I'm now turning 48 in a couple of weeks, so about... 20 years ago where I just thought, okay, I, I have a baby, life is great. Every, 
And when he was a year old, um, he started having seizures and um, did develop quite a severe uh, seizure disorder. And uh, unfortunately, despite starting medication, um, it just, uh, some, sometimes he would have up to 50 seizures a day and uh, medication couldn't control it. And the situation, um, just our reality was uh, that we could have an ambulance at our house sometimes three times a, a week where he would be blue, not breathing from seizures. So he did have um, a history of life-threatening seizures as well. Um, and uh, so throughout that, I wouldn't say I would have a lot to give to others during that time because it's such a shock when you're going through and then throughout his journey from about one until he was seven then I also had another son um, Christopher and even with Christopher I'd been home from the hospital just giving birth and within 24 hours was back in an ambulance back at the same hospital with Jack un unconscious um, so having a child who was sick and then by the time he was seven things were so um, critical that he required having part of his brain removed and we didn't know if he would survive um, even after his first surgery that uh, he hemorrhaged and we had to say bye to him um, so he's, he's been in a coma twice and um, all of our experiences there knowing it was very likely that he days that I've, I've had that final conversation with him um knowing that there was a very real possibility we might not have jack beyond the age of six seven eight nine ten just fundamentally changed me to the core and um then when you start to realize how many other people it's not just you um you see so many other parents in the hallway or you have other at the hospital or other people in the community you just start to your eyes are open to how much suffering and um, what goes on beneath the veneer of a smile on someone's face that it just starts to to really change you and make you want to um, connect with others and um, support each other and um, so I think that's um, that was the catalyst for my life com completely shifting I mean if you don't have your health all of us are going to be born and all of us are going to die and the pandemic has made this very real for a lot of other people um, but um, for most of the past 20 years, I, I've really lived with the lens that every day on this planet that we're healthy, um, it's a gift and that life is very fragile and uh, that we better make, better make the most of each day because we don't know when our, our time is. Some people unfortunately know sooner, you know that their life expectancy might be, but none of us can say, you and I don't know that we're not going to have something happen. like to us tomorrow so you want to you need to maximize every day and that's both personally within your family unit and and helping others now surely i mean in this experience of going through this so traumatic so i mean it's shocking i can't imagine what you and the whole family your whole family nucleus went through you know the ptsd suffering you know seeing your firstborn in such a state he's thriving today I know that but what did that all feel like like there must have been a moment where you were angry or you know bitter or you know you're the most optimistic person I know and you're so positive and so hopeful but there must have been moments where you were like what like what the hell's going on why why me why us those moments I'm very grateful to have incredible family support for those moments but I think the the harder moments are um, knowing what it feels like to have your heart shattered a million pieces. Um, 
I know Jack's first surgery, carrying him into the, he was walking towards the operating room at Sick Kids. I was holding his hand, and you're allowed to go in for point of abduction. Um, parents can go in with their child and stay with them until they're um, sedated. And uh, I remember he was walking down the hallway, and he he said, "My my my legs are a bit wobbly. Can you carry me?" And I carried him into the operating room, knowing his skull was going to be removed from his head. Um. I walked in, there's a team of two dozen people, there's computers all over the room, there's rotating images of his brain, and I see the saw that I know the second I place him down and he is put under, that he's going to have a skull removed and he may or may not live through this. And I remember leaving the operating room and just sinking to the floor. And I felt, I, I, I felt this several times, but I felt my heart shatter. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do if, He's not okay. Given all of this and all of everything you just shared, what, what's a golden rule in your household? What's one thing that, you know, every single day you and your family commit to? Well, one thing that I've know, been known to say since Jack's surgeries in 2010 and he survived them, he actually then relearned how to walk and talk after several months. He went over and did, did rehab. Anytime someone comes to me that they're stressed, I'll always say, as long as everyone in my family is conscious, I can roll with this. If it is something more significant, if someone in my family is not breathing, that is something truly stressful. So I've always maintained, I think I've been able to identify what truly matters in life and what is fluff. And a lot of life is just a detail. A lot of life doesn't matter. What we get so hung up on, uh, most of it, I would suggest, doesn't matter. Um, So I think that that, and then also things like, you know, having your son's funeral planned, like when he's seven, eight, we didn't know. Um, things like every night I have a family dinner and we go around and say what we're grateful for. And I get it with teenage boys, you know, and we, my husband might not think it's, but I'm so grateful. You don't take family dinners, like our family's together. And I get to have dinner with both my kids and husband and and sit around and do that so I think that's like the golden rule in our house too that you don't there's nothing more important than family time and we don't I don't think any of us really take it for granted and when you have a hard moment how do you get back on track and I'm asking you this question because I know that there's that level of ongoing worry and Mm -hmm. in general we get caught up in this what if what if you've got actual real very real what ifs that could happen in your life so many things are so you know inconsequential life's just detail like you say but when worry creeps into your mind how do you get back on a path of being in a state of now um i worry every single day most um most often during the night um, there is a syndrome, you know, Jack for the large part has been been stable since the surgeries, um, but he has experienced a life-threatening seizure, um, the last one being about three years ago, um, that, you know, even his younger brother was asking me, is, he, is my brother going to die? Um, but there is a syndrome called SUDEPS, an unexplained death in epilepsy patients, and um, that's most often when uh, people have a seizure between like four or five in the morning and then go into cardiac arrest. And it's, unless you're there, it's pretty hard to prevent. And um, there's 9,000 deaths a year. For, so that that is a very, um, Jack does tick all his age, tick all the, the uh, 
uh, risk factors. So, you know, despite it being still unlikely, that's what keeps me up at night. And um, what helps me, one, um, I start my day every day with the Calm app. I do yoga, um, really try and ground myself, um, breath work. And then every day, I, I don't say this often, every day I wait for Jack's door to open in the morning and for him to come out and say, hi mom, because I know he's alive for the morning. And I'll hear our dog sleeps with him and I'll hear um, our dog Dexter's uh, feet pitter patter, but it's not lost to me. If I don't hear his door open by seven o'clock in the morning, um, I go in and I put my hand on his back to see if he's breathing or not. Um, and that's just the lens because there's many times over the years where I've seen him not breathing and then just knowing this, this risk factor and what, this is what scares me. Um, so then I think it's the appreciation for the small things, right? That gets jacks up. We have a chat, you know, I'm not one of those parents who then like distracted. Oh, great. You're like, we could hang out and chat. I'm, I'm so excited to genuinely see him. Um, but it's just, uh, then also really having good people around you, right? I have such a supportive family. Um, so the good, bad, and the ugly, I know I, I have people I can pick up the phone and, and call, and that's such a huge lifeline too, right? Where you surround yourself with really good, solid people, um, who, who want to take care of you and you take care of them as well. Um, but that, that definitely makes you feel like you're not alone. Uh, and then I think lastly, just really having the lens of how many other people are going through really, really tough things. So sure, it might not be epilepsy and seizures and brain surgery, but I know a whole lot of people, you know, if you said, okay, who wants to trade problems, traumas, issues, most people in life wouldn't because there's a lot of significant stuff that a lot of humans are going through. So that's what I also try. You know what? There's... Um, why should our family be immune from, from challenges when most of us are going to have to go through tough stuff? So I think that also provides a sense of comfort just knowing, um, right, other people are, are doing it too. And um, that's part of the human experience for, for better or for worse. This whole branch of uh, psychology that I've been spending time reading from um, a Canadian psychotherapist, Existential Wellbeing. And he maintains that to live a whole life, it's not just about being happy, but to live a whole life and achieve sustainable well-being, we have to go through all this bad stuff. Do you agree with that? Like, are we better people because of all this stuff that happens? And not to uh, discount your experience, but just, you know, even trivial things that maybe we may have a setback at work, what have you. What are your thoughts on that? Are we really our best selves because of everything life gives us? A hundred percent. And I, I, I think, um, through trauma and our biggest challenges, that's where we, we have our, our deepest learning, um, and our deep, our most growth. Um, I know some people sometimes, even in the myth of normal, we'll, we'll talk about, um, the gift of disease or challenges and where, you know what, I, I don't think I can ever get to the point where to say it's a gift to watch your child suffer. And to, to ask your kid, you know, have your child asking you like, mom, why do I stop breathing or why do I have seizures? Um, or to see in their search history that um, they've been Googling, why can't, why can't I stop shaking? It does give you such a lens. Uh, then when you've been through your own challenges to, to um, yeah, connect with others. And so while I, I wouldn't view it as a, a gift, I wouldn't be the same person. Um, without it and you know what it is a richer 
life to now you know, be a community advocate and be advocating for, for children, other families. Um, and I know what's meaningful in life. Um, so you know what, maybe without all of these challenges, right, would I have just like breezed through and glossed over most of life where I feel like each day really has substance and matters. And I know when I put my head on the pillow every night, I've done my very best to try and make a difference in the life of other people. I, I can account and attest to that, that you are. And so in this book that you recommended that I read, and I want everyone else to consider it too in The Myth of Normal, and I haven't read it yet because I only just started it, but you gave me a preview. You sent me a photo of a, of a passage that you loved, and it was about, don't quote me, but it was about you know to heal. There's different ways of healing, and there was something about agency, and I think agency is required to get back on a path. What's your advice for someone who just can't seem to put one foot in front of the other? Like We all want to heal. We all want to get out of the trauma experiences, and we need to act, but sometimes it's just so hard. Yeah, I think some, because I've had, um, I don't even want to try and quantify how many really, really tough days. Um, and I think it's actually my sister who, um, she does a lot of trauma-informed counseling with um, with youth with, with special needs. And learning how to break down life literally into like breath by breath or moment by moment. Sometimes that's all you can do is to take the next breath and to not try and say okay well what about this for today what about this for the week or the month the future is it's too overwhelming when you think like that but where if you just try and take it each moment by moment and i always say like now again we're on a really positive path jack's been stable and like i we will plow forward on this path and then adjust if we get information to update us otherwise um but yeah, I think trying to live in the present really, really helps because um, a lot of moments are manageable if you just break it down, like, what do I have to do next? And sometimes it's literally, and Jack's best friend just went through three neuro, additional three neurosurgeries this summer. In addition, he's previously had two two strokes. And his mom was telling me when he was in the hospital, like, even in surgery, she's like, I... I literally, the only thing I can do right now is to tell myself to take the next breath. Hmm. And that was the most she could do. And then that breath got her through to the next one. And, you know, then here, here we are and he's, he's recovering too, but that, um, that helps to try and stay, to try and stay present. And for sure, like the exercise and having other people, the nutrition and having good people, um, when you don't have the strength that they can just wrap their arms around you and um, and carry you for a while. It's hard to reframe our mindsets, right? And our outlooks and create new patterns. And you mentioned the word adjust and that's so hard because there's so much that's outside of our control. And so how can we learn to live with a mind frame of living with so much uncertainty And the past few years have helped us realize that. But what's your thought on that? guidance uh, advice on how we can continue to navigate uncertainty which life continues to bring us um i think one of the things that my dad uh has said over the years which i i just think is actually brilliant i don't think he even meant it to be so deep he's like life is essentially a series of adjustments yeah. right which which is true big or small um and that resilience i i think just as you 
focus on what what matters you you try and see you know what i i am fortunate i think um you know i'm, I'm predisposed to be a positive person i i grew up with very positive like very positive mom um so part of that is like just the good fortune of being in a supportive loving happy family growing up um but to to keep going it's to, i think when you view life as finite too that it's easier to say, oh, oh my gosh, I better make the most of this day. Like I, I wouldn't want to waste a day on this planet because I don't know what tomorrow tomorrow brings. So I, I wake up with excitement and easier said than done right now because we're in a calm period. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly our experience has certainly given us a perspective that um, those good days, you just want to do everything you possibly can to maximize it. And you've built the resilience to encounter and, and adapt and adjust with future challenges that'll come your way, you know, whether it's a health scare or just anything really. But, and there's this book that I love by Catherine Mage she talks about this concept of, you know, eventually the winter comes for all of us. We don't want to live in a doom and gloom perspective, but how important or vital is it for us to think about the fact that, you know, you said earlier, life is very precious, this moment is fleeting, but how, how can we live with this mindset without becoming down, you know, and then being super sad and on, on the negative side of life? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. And I think self-care is so important. And I just see so many women, particularly around me, who view like self-care as a luxury or surrounded by guilt if they do something for themselves, where I'm very strategic, um, it's like the air, airplane oxygen mask. You know, if you're sitting beside a child, you need to put on your own before you can take care of uh, them or others. And I think that's what it really is is for me to to get the sleep, to to take those things that recharge me, to go for a bike ride, to visit a friend in a warm climate every year because I just, I do not thrive with the gray skies of the Canadian winter, much as I love our country. But it's doing those things proactively. Um, I think that is how you don't get overwhelmed. But it's also then really important when you're doing things for yourself to not have the guilt um, and to just say, this is what I need to do to take care of myself. And that makes me a stronger person. And not only with my family, but it makes me successful in all areas of my life with my immediate family, with caring for aging parents, with work anything else that I put my mind to because I've taken care of me first and no one else is responsible for my happiness. It's also very easy to say to maybe look to a spouse or look to other, well, you're not making me happy or you're not doing this and this and like, no, I'm not responsible for my husband's happiness. He is, he's not responsible for mine. I am. Um, so to also have that accountability that others can't do it for you. So you have to also own it. And again, I'm lucky that I, I am a strong person. Um, I do think it's there's many privileges that we've had even to be able to access the kind of healthcare that we we have. Um, but yeah, we we do have to be accountable for ourselves and um, just really really dig deep and um, not hope that anybody else can fix the situation for us. And a lot of people don't, you know, I'm not discrediting people that haven't done this deep thinking, this deep work of transforming their, their mindsets or their views on life. But a lot of people don't live like this. And I, it took me a while for also for me to get to this point. I'm, I'm sure at some point in my twenties, I was very selfish and only thinking about myself. I'm sure 
people can attest to that. We've all grown, we've all matured, but sometimes people don't really have the understanding on how to change because a traumatic incident hasn't happened to them. And we know that to be to level up to a higher version of ourselves, things have to happen, both good and bad. For those that are listening that maybe have been so fortunate to not have had something serious happen to them, but who want to grow, who want to adapt to this ability that you have, what can they do? You know, how, like, I don't know how, how else to put it, but how else can we all grow as you have? Well, I don't think I have so many deep, special wisdom or, you know, what I think it's just the, the lens of um, a suffering that's kind of um, developed like some of this, this empathy and desire to help others. But I, I think I would just encourage people um, to really look at, you know, the, the quote, the society is measured by how they, they treat the, the weakest link of the weakest member of, of society, you know what, if, if it would be such a blessing and that's how I think how you truly create an inclusive and prosperous um, country and world, if all of us had the lens to think when you encounter someone, you know, rather than, oh, well, you cut me off in traffic or you did this more, you know, I, I wonder what's going on in their life. I bet if you approached every human like that, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder how they genuinely are doing as a human. I bet all of us would be a whole lot nicer to everybody else that we we encounter. So you needn't have had any great suffering, but I think it's, I, I would love if more people just threw out empathy to strangers and people they know alike. Oh, and that when you asked to back to your question about the golden rule in my house, um, my mom's golden rule and the best piece of advice that she ever got from her mom was to use your kindest voice at home. And use your kindest voice to yourself. Yeah. That's, that's even hard. harder. That's so hard. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm constantly beating myself up. and I'm The like, two what? teenage boys might say I, I fail and not always use no. my kindest voice at home. No, but no. It, it is such a imagine if we all used our kindest voice, right? When we were approaching other people. Um, I think that would bring a lot of beauty to the world. I think so. And a lot of... And a lot of um, a little bit more hope too but you mentioned suffering but also consideration i think consideration is something that we also need to consider um focusing on a little bit more and hopefully that's what people leave this podcast series with what's your biggest source of inspiration you talk about your dad your mom your family but just is there anyone else or something a moment that's inspired you to be the best version of jody that we have the privilege of knowing that's very kind of you to say. Um, I think, you know what, I, the necklace that I wear in Latin, um, the, the little emblem says, like, while I, while I breathe, I hope. Um, and I think that's what, what my hope is, is that one day there's a, you know, I, I don't know what the future looks like for us. Um, not just for Jack, but for the rest of us. But, you know, Jack specifically, like, I, I, I hope that he lives a healthy life and I hope he's an old wrinkly man and with you know the saying you know breathing while you hope I mean the hope gives me inspiration and then the necklace just reminds me there's so many breaths in between that but for us to all imagine like you know what that there's a lot of beauty to this world and um sometimes you just have to break it down breath by breath but that's what I think really keeps me going is, is hope for a cure specific for for jack and um 
that's that's the best I can do and when faced with something without a cure I, I love that while I breathe I hope I think this is uh, the name of the episode for the, I'm gonna name your episode this so just so you know I'm stealing that it's, it's I've got goosebumps Jody, advice or thoughts to anyone going through a really challenging time right now? And, you know, it's just everywhere I'm turning, someone's got something so bad happening. And so there's so much goodness. Let's not discredit that. There's so much goodness and so much beauty in this world. But we're all going through something, like you said, and we have to consider that. But just to end this this interview here, what are your thoughts on that? Any advice, guidance, things that we can consider? You know what? People care. Reach out to someone. Whoever it is, if it's a professional, right? If it is uh, a colleague, like be vulnerable. Um, it's too easy to pretend that things are fine when they're not. Like I like to think of it sometimes like the the iceberg. Like sometimes when people have said, oh, you're, you're so strong, I couldn't imagine. Guess what? No one can imagine that your kid's going to need part of their brain removed. No one can imagine that. And I'm not so strong, but sometimes you don't have any other choice but to do it. Um, and with the icebergs, sometimes, you know, all people see is the above the surface smile or underneath is where all the fear and worry and everything exists. Um, so something, and I think just the older I get again, I'm just turning 48, like be real. And if you're scared, if you're worried, if you're, if you're suffering, if you need to, to cry and be, be vulnerable. And even if it's just one person reach out because people want to help. So believe in the good of others um, when you need someone to carry you through for a moment or longer than that. Um, so there'll be a soft landing space somewhere. Thank you, Jody. That's so that's so beautifully said. Jody, thank you so much for for taking us through your personal experiences, your your story, your journey. And I think you know, like you said, while I breathe, I hope there's still so much goodness to have. And even though you live in a state of Thinking about the future, you've made it a point to live in the now, and that is so beautiful and so powerful. And I just want to thank you so much for giving us a glimpse of the Jody Baxter that we've come to know and just wishing you all the best. And it's just so incredibly inspiring to see all the goodness that you're giving to the world after all the stuff you've gone through. And I just want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me and I and thank you for what you're doing to advocate for others through this podcast and what you live and breathe every day, right? It's it's um, people like you who also, um, you know, that positive energy, you're a catalyst for, for people, um, the energy you get a, give off for, for people feeling supported and better and uh, you... You, us knowing each other, it makes the, I'm, I'm so grateful you make the world a better place. Well, you only live like two minutes from my house, so I got to start walking over. <laughs> it is convenient. <laughs> and I want to, uh, Jack, if you're listening, I promise you on your 30th birthday, I'm bringing you 30 donuts. <laughs> I did that. Oh, I didn't bring you 20 when you turned 20. I brought you a couple. He but... would remind you of that. <laughs> Six, where's my 14? I owe him a couple more. All right, Jody, thank you. Thank you. Evidently, our experiences with life can be a thread that ties us together instead of a sword separating us from optimized well-being for all. If we think about what Dr. Paul Wong, Professor Emeritus from Trent University and psychologist conveyed to us in the previous episode, transcending our anger, our hurt, our pain, our fears, 
Well, it gives us the cognitive runway to serve a higher purpose. If we don't allow ourselves to feel what happens to us, let alone address it, we'll get stuck in a rut or worse, close ourselves off from each other. And there are so many people who can stand to benefit from our true and most fullest potential. Achieving a level of sustainable well-being is possible after times of trauma. And like Jody reminds us, hardships don't ever disappear from our lives. They're always there in the shadows. Things are always gonna happen to us. Worst case scenarios may show up in our lives. I think it would be trite if I said, well, let's just not think about it. We need to get rid of this type of gaslighting because it's dangerous. I think instead what we should do is live day by day, give and take fully from the moments we have with each other, know our impacts to the greater good are lasting, and enjoy the fact that we're here. We're making a difference. We're creating legacy for ourselves through the interactions that we have with our family members, our friends, our colleagues. We're making a difference. We're making a difference even though we've been so hurt. And what can be better than that? In my next episode of Sturdy Glass Sponges, we're gonna meet someone who builds on the idea of legacy, but also brings to life a very interesting survival technique, glass sponges display. When one is injured or sadly dies, the others prop it up so that it actually regenerates and is able to pull itself up to stay alive, to keep growing, to keep surviving. I guess this is partly the reason why they've been around for millions of years. Talk about finding new opportunities for achieving greater heights together. All that and more in my next episode of Sturdy Glass Sponges. In the meantime, send me a note. I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think about this podcast series so far. My email address is elenaayokono at icloud.com. I look forward to reading your emails and getting back to you.